Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. For years, when Jeremy Corbyn headed the British Labour Party, Corbyn was faced with allegations that he was presiding over a massive anti-Semitism crisis inside his party. Defenders of Corbyn countered that he was in fact being targeted with a smear campaign aimed at undermining his progressive policies, including his staunch advocacy for Palestinian rights. Well, now a long-awaited report from Britain's Equality and Human Rights Commission has come back with the results. And it found that in a party with nearly half a million members, there were just two cases of unlawful anti-Semitism. In a statement, Jeremy Corbyn responded by saying, quote, one anti-Semite is one too many, but the scale of the problem was also dramatically overstated for political reasons by our opponents inside and outside the party, as well as by much of the media. In response to that, the new Labour Party leader, Keir Starmer, suspended Corbyn, saying that those remarks were inappropriate. I was very disappointed. Um, a difficult decision was then taken yesterday in relation to his suspension, which I fully support. It was a difficult decision, as you can imagine. It was the right decision. It was the General Secretary's uh, decision, using the powers that he's got. But um, leadership sometimes involves difficult decisions, and that's why I set out my response in the way that I did. Corbyn responded to the media. Very shocked and very disappointed. I've been in the Labour Party all my life. And I want to make it absolutely clear, anti-Semitism has no place whatsoever in our party or our movement. I've opposed it and racism in all its forms all my life. And that is what I've made clear during my leadership of the party and I make clear today as a member of parliament and proud to be one. Well, joining me is Chris Williamson, a former Labour member of the British Parliament. Like Jeremy Corbyn, he was suspended. In his case, when he pushed back against the anti-Semitism campaign and said it was being done in a bid to undermine Corbyn. Williamson was vindicated by this new report, which found that he committed no wrongdoing. Chris Williamson, welcome to Pushback. For people who are not familiar uh, with the background to this report on alleged anti-Semitism inside the Labour Party, can you just briefly summarize what led up to this and then your reaction to the ensuing suspension of Jeremy Corbyn? Well, there's been a concerted campaign against Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. Well, there was a campaign that actually started when he first managed to get onto the ballot paper in the leadership election in 2015. Uh, that was then uh, followed by a, a coup of the Parliamentary Labour Party sought to try and force Jeremy Corbyn out. There was a, a second leadership election the following year. And it was after that election, really, that the allegations of anti-Semitism really ramped up. And it, it was really around Jeremy's support for an ethical foreign policy, in particular, his support for the Palestinian people. And the allegations got more and more lurid. Uh, many of Jeremy's uh, supporters were targeted and suspended and then expelled from the Labour Party. And the organ a couple of Zionist organisations uh, called the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism and the so-called Jewish Labour Movement uh, lodged a complaint. And they've been lobbying. I mean, they've been harassing the, uh, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission for some time, making complaints, uh, demanding that they investigate uh, the, the party for institutional mm -hmm. anti-Semitism. 
and uh, eventually the EHRC, uh, uh, you know, relented and and mounted their investigation to the party last year. This was shortly after I think I was uh, suspended myself from the Labour Party uh, earlier in 2019, and uh, there'd been a you know long process. Uh, I was named in the report initially. I um, lodged a, a legal challenge to that and uh, I mean I've been vindicated because you know, there were no allegations against me my name was virtually removed in, entirely from the report and, and certainly there were no accusations leveled against me. Um, the report was due to be published in fact uh, at the beginning of September but because of the legal challenge that I'd mounted it was delayed because I was threatening to take an injunction out against them if my name wasn't removed from the report because it was based on a lot of spurious uh, mal malicious allegations and um, eventually they they relented and they, they did remove my name uh, and it was then published and following that the uh, now leader of the Labour Party Keir Starmer decided that he was going to uh, flex his muscle and and uh, make a break with the with the with the Corbyn era if you like and decided to uh, support the suspension it was actually the general secretary of the party that, that suspended Jeremy but obviously supported that decision by Keir Starmer and he says that he accepts the report in its entirety but I mean you know the organization itself the EHRC uh, is is a, is a very you know questionable organization in terms of its uh, political affiliations. It's supposed to be an independent public body, but it, it has itself been accused of institutional racism. Um, two of its uh, Muslim uh, commissioners uh, were accused of, uh, uh, black and Muslim community uh, commissioners, I believe, were, were accused of being too loud when it came to the question of uh, the EHRC dealing with the, the issue of racism, ironically. Um, and uh, they are also many of the commissioners got very close ties to the uh, conservative party and it's interesting because there was speculation uh, in the middle of this year in fact uh, from labor sources uh, and this was reported in, in some of the media that when the ehrc report comes out jeremy corbyn will be suspended that will be used as a pretext to suspend him and this idea of suspending jeremy corbyn um goes back many, many years. I remember talking to a National Executive Committee member in 2015 that uh, told me that there were um, people, you know, enemies, if you like, of the, the Corbyn project on the National Executive Committee and, and, and close to it, who were, who were looking for ways to uh, find an excuse to suspend Jeremy Corbyn. This was when he was leader of the party. I mean, it was, it's, it's astonishing, frankly, but there's been a long and concerted campaign uh, that has... Uh, sought to undermine Jeremy Corbyn from inside the Labour Party and uh, and this is where it's ended up. I mean I was arguing for a long time that that Jeremy uh, the leadership needed to take a more robust stand against the allegations of anti-semitism but unfortunately my my sort of advice fell on deaf ears and there was a there was a continual effort to try and appease and, and capitulate to these absurd accusations that were being leveled against Jeremy and against the party. Bear in mind, the Labour Party has a long-standing record of, uh, of standing up to racism, uh, a proud tradition, in fact, of standing up to racism, as has Jeremy Corbyn and indeed his family. I mean, his, his mother was at the Battle of Cable Street when Oswald Mosley's fascists sought to try and march through the Jewish quarter. So, you know, Jeremy's um, record stands uh, any examination. Uh, somebody who's 
reputation really to a large extent has been staked on his stand against racism in all its forms. I mean, when the Tory, Tory many Tories, prominent Tories were uh, wearing badges and sporting t-shirts that uh, had hang Mandela emblazoned across the front of them, he was protesting against apartheid outside the South African embassy. But I think the fact that uh, he was a pro-Palestinian uh, in favour of the ethical foreign policy was something that was unconscionable to, to many, and they, they sought to bring him down, and they've succeeded now. His statement was, one anti-Semite is one too many, but the scale of the problem was also dramatically overstated for political reasons by our opponents inside and outside the party, as well as by much of the media. The report seems to confirm that for all this talk about an anti-Semitism crisis inside the Labour Party, the final report that has just come out says that there were two cases of unlawful anti-Semitism out of a party of more than a half a million people. Has that fact been acknowledged widely in British media or is that just being swept under the rug? It's been swept under the carpet. I mean, I, I've sought to uh, make that point when I've been interviewed, but unfortunately, I'm just one voice and uh, much of the mainstream media hasn't spoken to me at all in any event. And the way it's being spun on the broadcast media and uh, in the print media, I mean, it's, it's you would think this was an incredibly damning, lurid report, but you're absolutely right. I mean, literally only two cases, uh, and they're very, very questionable in themselves. I mean, my biggest regret, frankly, is that uh, all the other people that were named in the report didn't mount the legal action that I did. There were six people initially, only six. I mean, that was the height of it. And um, I included myself in, in, the, in the draft report. Uh, as I say, we mounted a, a very robust legal challenge and it resulted in my game being removed. But I think it also had the effect of removing three other people as well. And we're now left with just two, one of whom is a councillor, one another one is a uh, former, uh, well, former MP and uh, a National Executive Committee of the Labour Party, uh, Ken Livingston. But the allegations against them really, in my opinion, don't, don't actually amount to anti-Semitism in any event. And it's certainly not an indication, even if except they did an indication that, that the Labour Party was riven with anti-Semites and had an institutional anti-Semitic problem and was guilty of harassing the Jewish community. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. And the hyperbole is, is, is quite astonishing. Even though Jeremy Corbyn is no longer the leader of the Labour Party, it seems uh, determined to not just remove him from the prospect of uh, becoming prime minister of this country and leading the official opposition. They want to absolutely destroy any, any trace of the sort of programme that Jeremy Corbyn was spearheading when he was leader of the party. And this obviously was a you know, modest socialist programme in terms of the economic agenda at home. And, uh, and an ethical foreign policy abroad. I mean, this was unconscionable to, to many inside the Labour Party, regrettably in the upper echelons of the Labour Party, as well as to uh, you know, many in the establishment who were very concerned about a party coming to office who had a minister for peace and disarmament. I mean, I, the, you know, the prospect for me was incredibly exciting, actually, of a corporate that led the government, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, with a minister for peace and disarmament. And I sort of hoped that, you know, one day maybe the UK could gain a reputation for spreading peace and disarmament around the world instead of uh, war and arms sales, which is the present situation now. And the hostility towards Corbyn from inside his own party was so severe that there were leaks recently that showed that there are people inside the party who were plotting so that the Labour Party would lose the 2017 
parliamentary elections in which actually, you know, uh, labor under Corbyn just came very, very close to winning, to, to taking the government. Uh, and that only came out recently. When you tried to warn Jeremy Corbyn and his advisors that this was happening, did they recognize that the anti-Semitism smear campaign was indeed a smear campaign against Corbyn? Did they understand that this was a, just a, a solely cynical effort to try to bring him down and to uh, denigrate his advocacy of Palestinian rights? Yes, I think they did. And uh, they just took a, a, a catastrophic decision that it was better to try and manage the Parliamentary Labour Party to try and uh, you know, appease and uh, and try and work with people. But as I pointed out, and I've been proven correctly, and it you know gives me no pleasure to say this, that you cannot reason with these bad faith actors. And I did try to make that point, not just to to Jeremy and his advisors, but but also to the socialist campaign group in the Parliamentary Labour Party. And uh, I said, look, we you know we, just in fact the week before I was uh, suspended because the allegations were getting you know more and more lurid and uh, I was you know being particularly targeted not just in terms of my support for, for Jeremy but also because I was uh, leading a, a campaign to radically democratize the party and you know give members of the party a greater influence over the direction of the party and uh, make MPs far more accountable uh, to the grassroots members and I was you know targeted for that as well um, but I said look you know ultimately it's not me that they're after. This is the one to destroy the Corbyn project and they want to topple Jeremy. All of the people that have been targeted, uh, if you like, Jeremy's Praetorian Guard, uh, they are collateral damage. Ultimately, it's to destroy this uh, modest socialist uh, project, project which, which had a very heavy emphasis on an ethical foreign policy. They, so I do think they acknowledge that. It's just that they tactically played it incredibly badly. And on the day that I was actually first suspended, um, this followed a, a meeting at the, the weekend where I'd said that the Labour Party had been too apologetic about its record in tackling anti-Semitism. But that was spun in the media as me saying that Labour was too apologetic about anti-Semitism, which is basically the opposite of what it was saying. It's 180 degrees uh, in the opposite direction to what I'd actually said. And um, I remember speaking to, to Jeremy's close advisors in the leader's office. This was a, on a Wednesday when Prime Minister's questions take place, and they were they were you know very anxious about the adverse uh, headlines and that this was going to be raised in PMQs. And I then, I guess for better judgment, said I would you know issue a qualified statement, a sort of qualified apology if I'd caused any offence or hurt in that sense. But I made the point in the discussions with them. I said, look, we're only in this position now because you've you've had the whole question of anti-Semitism incredibly badly from start to finish. And they, well, the people in the room with me at that point in time acknowledged that. They said, yes, we, we have, we've got it wrong, but we are where we are now. And, uh, you know, this is what we need to do. And uh, so it was, it was a fatal error on my part to, to issue that qualified statement because that was then weaponized against me. I mean, the, you know, the, the opponents were saying, well, look, he's apologized, but it's a mealy-mouthed mouth, mealy apology. It doesn't, really uh, it doesn't really mean it. He acknowledges he's done something wrong. Um, but it's clearly he's clearly not gone far enough. You know, he's not been contrite enough. And uh, I mean, the reality was I had nothing to be apologetic about. I mean, actually, in that speech that they were using against me, I made it very clear that we have to do everything possible to address the scourge, as I referred to it as being the scourge of anti-Semitism and all forms of, of racism. But the truth is, you know, anti-Semitism, whilst it's on, on the rise around the world and, uh, and indeed there's been increased incidents of anti-Semitism in this country, it's very, very minuscule in reality. 
I mean, the, the most egregious forms of, of racism uh, in, in Britain is Islamophobia. I mean, it's the Muslim community that, that are targeted much, targeted much more so than the Jewish community. And that's not to minimize anti-Semitism in any way, but it's just a statement of fact. And as I say, as someone, myself, like Jeremy, spent our lives fighting racism. I was a you know, working class kid in the 1970s, I left school, worked in the building industry, joined the anti-Nazi league in, in uh, the UK, which was a response to the rise of a, a group called the National Front, a fascist organization, which was getting quite a, a good amount of traction and doing quite well in, in, in some elections. And I mean, I was an active member of that, confronting fascists on the street and as a, an apprentice bricklayer on building sites, when casual racism was, was quite a thing, actually, in those days. I remember on more than a few occasions risking my personal safety, nearly getting into a fracas and you know being literally beaten up for for um, challenging casual racists and um, to then be you know accused in the way I've been as some sort of bigot. It's absolutely outrageous and it's clearly been weaponized. You know, I mean, and there's no doubt about that. And of course, the fact that I've made that point that it's been weaponized that was then used against me as evidence that I was uh, anti-Semitic because I was saying to be weaponized and I was quoting members of the Jewish community, actually, anti-Zionist uh, Jews, um, who uh, were saying that. And ironically, many of the people that have been targeted for suspension by the Labour Party are themselves Jewish, anti-Zionist Jews. I mean, one guy, for example, was, um, both his parents were incarcerated in Auschwitz. Obviously, thankfully, they, they, they survived it. But this is somebody who was born in Israel, served in the Israeli army, um, was a very strong, passionate pro-Palestinian campaigner. He was one of the first people to be targeted. He was. His mistake was, if I can put it like that, supporting the Palestinian people and being a strong advocate for Jeremy Corbyn. And this was a this was a you know a trend that was happening all the way down the line. I mean, Tony Greenstein, another prominent member, who's a son of a rabbi, uh, whose father was also like Jeremy's mother at the Battle of Cable Street. He was targeted, still is targeted as, as an out and out anti-Semite. Jackie Walker, a prominent mm -hmm. black Jewish activist, vice chair of Momentum. Uh, the grassroots uh, movement that, that was formed to support Jeremy Corbyn's uh, leadership. She was also uh, targeted. Um, you know, th this is, it's been a really pernicious, disgusting, despicable campaign. But one of the things it's shown me is that uh, the, the right wing, if you like, and the Zionist lobby are incredibly ruthless. And, uh, you know, they're, they're much more ruthless than, than um, well, certainly that Jeremy's team and Jeremy himself has been prepared to be. Jeremy should have defended his reputation and he should have defended his, his, his allies uh, and defended the Labour Party's reputation from the outset. And I think if he'd have done that, uh, then we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be in the situation now. And frankly, I think we'd be, potentially Jeremy would have been in number 10 down the street and we would have been in the process of transforming the country right now. Well, he's a nice person because he actually cares in, for human rights. He does. I mean, and 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 that and that and that actually hurt him in the end because he's such a nice yes, person. Absolutely, yeah. it definitely did. I mean, Jeremy is a lovely bloke. I mean, I love the guy, and uh, you know, Jeremy always sees the best in people. To be honest, I like to think I try to see the best in people too. But I don't know. Maybe I've got a slightly more ruthless streak than, than Jeremy because I could see what was happening and the, you know this wasn't going to end well in my you know i mean and the other points i was making because in terms of the democratization agenda that i was championing was that unless we actually uh, bring about greater democracy and make this parliamentary labor party accountable to grassroots members even if the labor were to win the election under jeremy corbyn led labor government we wouldn't literally be able to implement our program i mean these people would have sabotaged it i mean and that, that that's the top and bottom of it and so they tried to and they and they try there's there, there's literal evidence of Corbyn's foes literally trying to stop him from winning. 
in 2017. Well, certainly. I mean, you know, the report, the leaked report that came out earlier this year was very, very clear about that. And uh, the, uh, the, you know, the main protagonist inside the very highest levels of the Labour Party's bureaucracy were actively working. These were fifth columnists working to, to sabotage the election. And then on the day that we, we'd come very, very close and it was touch and go as to whether or not, you know, we might even be able to form a government because uh, I think you, as you were saying in the uh, opening remarks, the party was literally within a few thousand votes of, of, of actually being able to form an administration. They were in a state of mourning, believe it or not. I mean, you know, they, they were incredibly depressed that Labour had done as well as they, they had. I mean, it was the worst possible. Like I've been active in the Labour Party, active in politics in every election, local, um, general and, uh, and even European elections since uh, the mid-1970s. I've never known a run into. It's the worst possible run into an election in my entire life, uh, probably in history. And yet, in spite of that, we secure, I say we, the Labour Party secured the biggest increase in vote share since 1945. And this was because people were really inspired by the, the programme that Jeremy was spearheading. Um, but uh, I think even if Labour had won that election, mind, uh, as I've said, it would have been very difficult to implement a lot of that. And certainly uh, the points that I was making when I was re-elected in 2017, I was making the point that, look, you know, when the next election comes, we have to get these dem democracy reforms through because, uh, you know, we're going to be in office, but not in power. And that will be incredibly damaging to the reputation of the party because a lot of cynicism about politics and a lot of people putting a lot of hope and expectation in the Jeremy Corbyn-led Labour government. And if we then were to let them down, it would be, it would just increase cynicism. But, you know, we didn't even get that opportunity. I mean, it's uh, it's far worse than that now. We've, we've essentially got two uh, turbocharged neoliberal establishment parties in this country now, in a similar way to uh, in the United States. It doesn't really matter who gets in, uh, you know, the, the system will will continue unabated. And uh, well, let me. Really yeah. So let me ask you about that. Um, and let me just say, by the way, that being Jewish myself, it's just painful to see anti-Semitism, the memory of the Holocaust, which my family uh, was deeply impacted by. My great grandparents were killed in Auschwitz. Um, my father grew up as an, uh, was born into um, Hungary where, when the Nazis occupied it. Uh, it's, it's just painful to see it being used to take down someone yeah, so, so, when, so genuinely committed that, to working people and to fighting many, racism. Many, that's a feeling of many Jewish, Jewish comrades in, in, in this country too, who similarly feel uh, incredibly hurt that you know, they've been used as a political football. And, and actually as well, it's, it's very sinister because there are people that maybe, you know, in the Jewish community are not necessarily that politically engaged who see this stuff. And that some people, I think, genuinely believe it. Well, know, I, I, I know, I know many, a, yeah, I know many Jewish people who did, they, they got convinced that there is this culture of anti-Semitism yes. and they themselves became scared, even though it was difficult to identify what exactly was, it was just this, it was a psyop. It was a propaganda campaign to convince people that it was a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So listen, let me ask you finally, you mentioned how the difference between the two parties now, the Tories and the Labour Party, is close to non-existent. Jeremy Corbyn, the symbol of, you know, the grassroots uh, in Britain, the former Labour leader has been suspended. It's really an attack on the Corbyn wing of the party. Do you see any point now for people to try to continue in Labour and try to take it back from the neoliberal wing, or do you think this will lead to the formation of a new party in the Corbyn tradition? 
Well, I hope it does, because uh, frankly, the Labour Party's dead as a vehicle for socialism, if it ever really was a vehicle for socialism. In reality, if you look back through the Labour Party's history, it's always been really used as a tool of the establishment to keep the working class in a place and to, I suppose, you know, sit on any kind of revolutionary uh, um, fervor that might uh, emerge, certainly in the early days after in the aftermath of the Russian Revolution. Um, but now, I mean, I mean, Tony Benn, the great uh, Tony Benn once said that the new Labour, the kind of Tony Blair acolytes, the new Labour cuckoos, as he put it, were taking over the Labour nest. And the problem is now they've, they've well and truly taken it over. They've smashed all the eggs and there is no means of us putting those eggs back together. It's impossible. And I think our only hope now is to build a new nest and to uh, you know try and but initially, and I'm working with others to try and build a, a grassroots movement. And I'm in the big, at the very beginning, really, of a, of a new campaign to encourage trade unions to defund and disaffiliate from the Labour Party. Because, you know, the organised working class are not going to be well served by a Labour government under Keir Starmer. But frankly, I'm not sure that the, the sort of agenda that Keir Starmer is putting forward anyway is going to be particularly attractive. And I think it just will give a green light for you know, yet more Tory governments of the blue variety rather than a Tory government of the red variety under uh, under Keir Starmer. And I think there's a hell of a lot of people who are incredibly disillusioned, disappointed, angry, frankly, at what's uh, been happening, even more so now uh, concerning what's happening uh, to, to Jeremy. And um, as I've said, there's no democracy really in the party. MPs are a law unto themselves. Even the National Executive Committee isn't particularly democratic. Only 25% of the seats on the National Executive Committee are elected by the membership. Uh, the rest are appointed by you know, various uh, luminaries in the party, from trade union general secretaries to the leader and himself and uh, the leaders of the Scottish and Welsh Labour parties. Um, so, you know, I just think now, and it's difficult to make that break. I mean, I'm somebody who spent 44 years of my life, you know, devoted to the Labour Party and trying to fight for the Labour Party and to try and make the Labour Party a more progressive and more socialist party. But uh, it's impossible. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the days of a sort of a broad church where, you know, the left had some influence are gone. I mean, the left has really absolutely no influence now. We had a moment in time under Jeremy Corbyn and we had a moment at the national, at the national conference in 2018, which was squandered where there were democracy reforms, which I'd been uh, spearheading, I came very, very close to winning them. But unfortunately, the, the delegations from the trade unions voted them down, essentially, because the votes at the conference are split evenly between grassroots members from the constituency Labour parties and the trade unions. And uh, it's important for a you know, working class party, I think, to have the organised uh, working class movement as part of it. But the truth is that those delegations were not reflecting at that conference the views of their grassroots members. And uh, as a consequence of that, those democracy reforms were defeated. Uh, and uh, that then emboldened still further the uh, opponents of Corbyn and the anti-Semitism row ratcheted up another gear. Uh, and, and then obviously the moves to reject the decision that was taken in the referendum on uh, Brexit on leaving the European Union was all but reversed and it was, became Labour policy to have a second referendum. And they basically not just sabotaged the 2017 election, they deliberately sabotaged the 2019 election uh, to, because that would then, if you know, Jeremy losing a second time would make it very easy to then 
remove him as a leader and um, and then uh, eradicate all traces of that kind of radical proposition that the Labour Party was edging its way towards under his leadership. Chris Williamson, thank you very much for joining us.